Your mother was right about one thing. We're just vessels. And even when we're told we're special, as I was, as you would have been, we're still just vessels. For them to take and take until we're empty. and welcome back to Furry Dashi Pod. Uh, I'm here, Lauren, with Nicholas. Nicholas! Uh, that's always a fun name <laughs> Wait, to say. Uh, so what is the audio equivalent of jazz hands? Like, Nicholas! <laughs> Nicholas! <laughs> okay, that's definitely the audio equivalent. <laughs> no, we're starting with that levity because we honestly just got off of a really heavy topic. Yes. And, uh, and then Nicholas made me laugh like profusely, which was great. So I feel like a weight has lifted off my chest. And we wanted to go into... How does the topic that we talked about uh, last time, which is basically toxic masculinity in the workplace, uh, harassment of all kinds, uh, not just physical, right, but also a mental and emotional uh, techniques such as gaslighting, et cetera. How does all of this, right, create terrible game design? Yep. Right. Or, you know, I I guess if you wanted to entertain the argument of how does it make better game design, which is just not an argument. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, and we were kind of looking up some recently developed titles here. And I know that I could talk profusely about how, right, this argument of the male gaze um, attributed in Cyberpunk 2077 more than profusely. I could talk about that the whole episode. But I just wanted to make sure that we introed this with a couple of titles. So, one, Nicholas gets a chance to speak. So uh, yeah, uh, uh, is that what was that? It. There you go. Please. The, man, the man gets to talk now. Yay! <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, as 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 we as we discussed our previous episode, men should kind of shut up for a little while and then maybe talk when they're allowed to. Anyway, the point that I wanted to make is that so I recently uh, finished Shadowbringers in Final Fantasy fourteen, and I was thinking about sort of like. One of the things that that game gets a lot of plaudits for is its representation of women, representation of like different kinds of characters. Like the writing is done really well. Um, the lead writer for Shadowbringers is herself a woman. I mean, she may be non-binary. I don't know. I don't know. So if I'm wrong, please yell at me about that. But the thing is, like, that, but there are still aspects of the game that have this kind of like male gazy quality to them, and. One of the things that occurred to me as my, I think this morning at some point was that like, there's no real representation of motherhood in the game. And he's like, yeah, Minfilia has a mother and there is a plot line dealing with her mother, but like the notion. And when I say motherhood, I'm not just talking about like women taking care of kids. I mean, the whole like gamut of relationships between women. Maybe that's what I mean. Like the, 
the game doesn't really represent relationships between women as women. In other words, something that we talked about in the previous episode is this way in which like women in the games industry are essentially supposed expected to take on this sort of like adopted masculine or at least sexless persona. And one of the things that bothers me about Final Fantasy XIV is that like when women relate with each other in the game, it is often in this kind of like sexless context. In other words, they, they are degendered. Whereas dudes get to be dudes, bros get to be bros in the game, but women don't really get to be like distinctly women. Uh, a good example of this that I can call out right here is that Thancred is allowed to lustfully look at women, even like Philhaman, which is when Phila's surrogate mother, he yeah. hits on her for like a good arc. I yeah. did not realize this, but I talked <laughs> to every NPC, or rather my friends did not realize this, but I was like, wait, are you, are you like leaning and drunk on the bar? And he was just like, oh man, like why won't she ever talk to me? And then I would like talk to Philemon and she's just like, man, Thancred's just not like going anywhere. And I'm like, oh snap, he is looking at you. And then like the next scene, he literally goes like, man, like Philemon or like just Tola, like which one, which one do I, which one do I take? Yeah. Right now, all of that aside, right? Like Thancred is his, his own thoughty self. He does. And I, he does have a, he does actually have a bit of an emotional arc from Heaven's Word on. He does have yeah. an emotional arc, right? Yeah. But he's also allowed to be a father figure, right? Mm-hmm. For Minfulm as well, which yep. then you could say, right, segments an okayness about him being attracted to her, her mother, who then you realize because of like you know everyone is really young in video games, like they're probably the same age, and Minfulm is actually like seventeen. Or something crazy young, right? Which is also fine because then now you're going, oh, he gets to be a father figure. He gets to be that bourgeoisie like lover boy, right? He gets to be a lot of different things. But like when you look at Menphilia, she gets to be um, like the leader that is kind of the leader but is hesitant because she's not sure if she deserves it or she'll ever live up to it. And then she becomes like literally this deity goddess. That's where I'm at right now. Spoilers, I guess. And then... She is literally the voice of the mother, and the mother is this giant crystal who, like, who knows what comes out of there. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. This yeah. idea that motherhood is essentially, like, magic <laughs> that pervades the universe and is sort of all-encompassing. Magic. Not, not, like, a social relation between human beings. Like, that's kind of messed <laughs> That's kind of messed in and of itself, this idea that, like, motherhood is this, like... So the... Actually, the the Thancred Menphilia relationship that you brought up is really important because it's exacerbated in Shadowbringers, and like no, that, I haven't played Shadowbringers. I'm not going to so... spoil. It. I'm not okay, going to spoil. It. The, the only point that I'm going to make is that like fatherhood is allowed to be this concrete social relationship between human beings, each of whom has differing opinions about that relationship, and it's written really well in Shadowbringers. Yeah. But motherhood is this cosmic force that just cares and now, sacrifices now and before we yeah you're right you're right you know it cares and it sacrifices right now before we go down this path you're thinking <laughs> lauren nicholas this isn't real there are plenty of games <laughs> with mothers in there right yeah. i mean take horizon zero dawn for example i mean sure she has that you know father dying on her relationship with aloy and then aloy yep. is constantly chasing this mysterious creature only to realize that it was her mother because the planted is her mother 
Yeah. Right. Oh, that. No, 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 no. Okay. Let's not look at Horizon Zero Dawn. I mean, let's look at, you know, another really big game like Final Fantasy VII, where, you know, in Advent Children, they're all crying mother, mother, because Genova is just, oh, wait, nope, sorry. That's uh, that's there. No, no, no. You know what? Instead, why don't we just talk about God of War? You know, Dad of War is definitely not a father-son relationship where this mother figure comes in and then ends up actually not really being any part of the plot at all because really yep. fatherhood is the ultimate. Yep. You know, never, you know, uh, seriously, I could go on and on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. about every single one of these games, uh, and I won't, but I really want to harp on that because, like, you know, oh, how could I, I'm sorry, how could I forget, like, Uncharted or, oh, like, geez. Last of Us or... Anyway, let's yeah, the, long the, story short, you know, the Star Last Wars. Of us, <laughs> the Last of Us 1 and 2 are all about erasing the concept of motherhood. <laughs> yes, a- yeah. I mean, not only is it erasing motherhood from like <laughs> um like the the narrative genre, it's also about erasing motherhood from like Ellie. Yeah, exactly. Cuz like, you know, obviously she's more of a man than any other male protagonist cuz she also likes women. Right, especially like, in Last of Us Two. In the Last of Us Two, in Last of Us because two. she adopt in order to survive, in order to sort of like deal with like her grief over the loss of her father figure, she becomes more macho. She becomes more masculine. She adopts all of these sexless qualities that we're talking about. Like she becomes yeah. the, sort of the proto man. In order and, to do that, yeah. So like, look at all of these through the lens of like, were they great games? Because honestly, to me, they all suck. No offense. <laughs> right. Less so, Horizon Zero Dawn, Ashley Birch the game, did a fantastic the job, <laughs> Ashley Birch, and Horizon Zero Dawn always will have a special place in my heart, minus the whole clone mothership. I love uh, how the actual game designer's opinion is all games suck. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, those games suck. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here, folks. I hate I hate all games. You know? Uh no, why don't we t- we could also talk about Legend of Zelda, right? Yeah, Link. Yeah. And, and Zelda, the I'm not a mother, but I could be, but I won't be because you're 14. Yeah. Or, or yeah, the, the the sort of the Zelda Link relationship, which is sort of like some, t- especially in Breath of the Wild, is like sometimes motherly, but sometimes. Well, because that's what all female relationships are, right? Like yeah. the girl you end up liking is your mom, but also like, you know, your object of desire, but not your equal because you do different things in society i mean i I just wanted to bring up the two different right genres of or the two different the leading developers i guess you could say right before i go into cyberpunk i guess i wanted to just bring up a bunch of games that overtly have a fatherhood relationship that a lot of people are like wow like what a great story um because we see this in in multi like in media right film and tv all the time but we really don't see mother or women relationships and when we do get a movie about women it usually is like genderless they're assassins fighting a bunch of men or it's look at this girl female james bond being a female james bond i don't know like it's just kind of like it falls flat it falls flat it it usually does because the thing is like and it's weird because like in in a lot of those games that you mentioned like the male characters are allowed to have this sort of like stereotypical like emotional journey this thing that we often ascribe to as a more like feminine characteristic although that self is a sort of sexist assumption but like the women in those games have to be hard asses they have to be stoic or like even if they do doubt themselves they eventually they they suck it up and they deal with it which is a very like like that is the one thing I will say is <laughs> yeah. maybe the most relational or relational to me in my life is that like if you feel a certain way, you just 
suck it up and deal with it. Like that, I will say, is part of maybe the female journey in that well, in general, if you have a feeling. It, but, at least but, that's, but that's not a thing that we associate with women. Like we make women do it all the time. And in fact, you know, with the, the recent you know allegations across the games industry, we see how fucked up it is to do that, like to yep. make people suck it up. But that is so it's weird. Like women are by and large the ones doing the upsucking, but it is a characteristic that we associate with men. Like that, like, you know, that that is that that is that is masculinity. That that is the macho thing to do. Like, you know, you get hurt and you you, you fight through the pain. Like that is not a thing that we associate with women. That is, yeah, that is a thing. That is, I would say that in general. So, like, let's just take gender out of that, I think, argument, because like we could go down that rabbit hole as well. Yeah. Um, and I realize now that both I, I don't know about you, Nicholas, but my brain is definitely trying to go down that rabbit hole. So I just want to bring it back up, take gender away from that for now. Okay. Yeah, sure. And just go like there are these ascribed narrative arcs that you see in these games. Right. Yeah. One of those is, you know, suck up the pain and keep going. Right. Yeah. Um, and that they could be very big macho power fantasies. We've talked about the power fantasy a lot. Yeah. Right. On this podcast, especially in these practical episodes, um, because every game and in it, a in and of itself, there's a lot of power fantasy games. Yeah. Or it's, it's about getting stronger, right? Like the, the old model of getting yeah, stronger yeah. in a That's, game. It's, yeah, the, yeah, it's yeah. the fundamental model of basically all role-playing games. You start yeah. as a schmuck and then over you, and over time, you develop abilities, you, you get experience, you add new powers. Like, And over the course of the game, you become strong enough through perseverance to deal with the big bad. Like right. that is and, a and basic we, structure. Yes. And it's actually the basic narrative structure or story structure or human struggle, right? Is that you have challenges and then you overcome them. Usually you learn from the challenge to become stronger. And even in puzzle games or in an action game like Tomb Raider, even if there are tutorials along the way, it's all about you go through levels, you beat it either through your mind or your skill or, or however you beat it, yeah. then you overcome it. They give you a new mechanic, you go hooray, and you do it over and over again until the game is over in a single player game or forever in a live service game. Um, now, all of that being said, Nicholas, when we looked at Final Fantasy XIV and we looked at that concept of motherhood, I feel like you've played things in Shadowbringers and in Stormblood since you're ahead of me. Yeah. Is there anything else you really wanted to point out with motherhood and other the female characters? Because while well, we were talking... Part of it yeah, is I, I don't know. Want, I don't want to spoil it for you because I know you're. Yeah, I guess it, right it must now. be in Shadowbringers then, huh? Like where it really kind the, of came to head. The thing between Thancred and Minfilia comes to a head in Shadowbringers. So I won't. I don't. I don't actually want to talk about the the details of that. Is but, she basically just like, oh, you are like my adopted dad, and like I'll never leave weird, my ever. It's weirder than that. It's no, a lot. No, weird. It's a you lot know what? Weird, no, I already. I, yeah. Uh, okay. Parody in a video game. <laughs> um. So okay, no, but to talk about it more broadly, so let me let me come up with an example from a, a different game. Actually, let me come up with a good example. So I really, really love the game um, Takeshi and Hiroshi. You know this. I love this yes. game for a whole host of reasons. And um, if you haven't listened to his Takeshi and Hiroshi uh, chill rant, yeah. you should. You don't don't pause this, but you definitely should go watch and check that out. I yeah, I would highly suggest it because one of the things that I didn't touch on in that game is so. so the focus obviously is on the relationship between, you know, this younger and older brother, but also like the way their mother functions in that game is really interesting as well, because 
it's very clear in the game that she has a different relationship with Hiroshi than she has with Takeshi. And she is the one who is in the position to occasionally remind Takeshi that he is being kind of selfish and that, you know, maybe he needs to sort of see things from his brother's perspective. And like, there, there is sort of this triangular relationship there. And what's really interesting about that is that like, it's clear that she has been conceptualized as being sort of like fundamentally on the same level, even though she's their mother, <clears throat> the way that she is situated in relationship to them is such that like, you understand that, motherhood as a concept in the game is much broader than just like the woman who takes care of everything all the time and is the bedrock of the family etc 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 it's more complicated than that even in a game where like it doesn't really complicate family all that much and if you compare that to say and, and the thing is like i actually have a hard time thinking of mother relationships in games just off the top of my head the one that immediately springs to mind, at least of a game that I played recently, it, and this is going to sound strange to, to everyone <laughs> that I played this recently, but I sort of replayed it recently, which is um, the, the game with, with Max and, 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 and Ashley Birch plays. Oh my why? God, Life is Strange. Life is Strange. Jesus Christ. I don't know why. Like it literally just like pooped out of my I, brain. I know. I literally was having a trouble until you said Max. I literally was like, I don't know. Like what I could remember all the names about. of the characters, but I couldn't remember the day. Yeah. So the original life is strange where like Max's own relationship with her. Like there are a lot of like surrogate parent relationships in that game, but like her own relationship with her own parents is it's kind of not there. And so what, what fascinates me about a lot of games is like one there's the sort of tendency to sort of like gravitate towards found families but i wonder why it is that like even when like why is that i guess that's a, I, I have that as yeah, a question no, why I, I can talk that? about that from my experience is that found families are really where um i mean this might be more true also like a few years ago even like five ten years ago but i can tell you right now that games does feel like a found family because when you are alone in a world or especially in video games and your own parents, for a lot of them, like parents didn't really respect video games. They didn't want you to be playing video game media yeah. um, to come to video games and to recognize that you're not just one kid out of two. Right. That's constantly bullied for liking something that you love. Games provides that refuge and that found family. Um, and so for you, a lot of the story that you you as a developer um probably are coming to is like, man, like I was just one of those lonely children that only had games to rely on, uh, especially in online gaming, right? Where now with the internet, you came to know your best friends through online. Yeah. So maybe you never met in person, but I mean, that's the digital age. Right now we have arguments for and against this still in 2021 because of 2020, having people saying, can you form a real relationship online? And gamers will be telling you for the past 20, 30 years that, yes, you indeed yes. <laughs> can meet people online and yeah. have very sustainable relationships. Who knew? Yeah. Right? So a lot about game development is about how games are your found family. I know that it's interesting for me to say this, that games really feels like the one place that I belonged. Okay. And it never, it never really occurred to me that I didn't belong other places, but there was that persona. Yeah. Right. That I had to put on to work in a world that I, I had to become 
like the Lauren that was okay for business. I had to become the literary Lauren that was high and mighty, right, for writing. And honestly, after Iowa, I didn't really believe that I belonged in creative writing anymore because a lot of it was very academic and a lot of it was hoity-toity. No offense, but I just wasn't interested. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't interested in getting an MFA or writing writing a Twitter poem or, you know, having poetry transcend spaces by being projected on a wall in a museum, yeah. which apparently was so like. It was a thing at the time. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, really it was a thing anymore. at a time, and oh, au contraire, like so avant garde for you know our words, words if they're light, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. But no, video games, right? Video games, I found kind of myself because I was allowed to be nerdy, right? Uh, yeah. You know, and I actually come from a background where my mother used to say that I've never seen you happier than when you were playing video games. Like she encouraged me to play video games, if anything. Yeah. Um, now, that's not to say that I was playing video games 40 hours like a week or whatever. I did other things, right? And I was also yeah. like a pretty good student. So I bet if my grades have been slipping, she would have been like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just to say that like found families is a thing in game development and especially the people that you work with, right? There's that industry standard for, oh, like we're a family here in your company, right? A lot yeah. of game development companies kind of started that way because it was a found family for some people, yeah, right? And for those friendships, right? Those found families are very important. So you already don't see a lot of the parent-child relationship in those types of games because the people themselves making it don't have that background. And that's kind of where we get to the heart of this issue is that, right, if you have less women developers or less minority developers in the game-making structure, you're not even going to have those, they don't have those experiences to draw from, right? So you're not going to see those. So we're constantly going to repeat this cycle if we have the same types of people making the the games, you get the same types of games. Well, and you also end up with this problem that you often see in games where like characters are just sort of skinned a particular race. Like it's like, oh, this character who like conceptually could have been white is just black for some reason or is just Latino or is just something. No, yeah, absolutely. That's why it's really hard to even find like good examples of those, except for Miles Morales. Uh, in Insomniac Spider-Man yeah. is a fantastic example. Um, I and the new Iron Man is okay as well. I don't personally like it, but the new Iron Man. Yeah. The oh oh you mean Riri? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm she sorry because she, she is... was actually branded Iron Heart. When yeah, I... she is a kind of Iron Man in the same way that like Jane Foster is a kind of Thor. Yeah. As well. So I was <laughs> uh, sorry. I was talking about games specifically. Yeah. Because. While I think like Jane Foster becoming Thor feels like a reskinning, yeah, right. Oh yeah, definitely. Miles Morales feels like a, especially in Insomniac's Spider-Man, is that it feels not only true to the the culture of his um, Latin and his like black roots in America, yeah. right? He's in that hybrid household, yeah. but that the game developers themselves for Insomniac went out and got a cultural advisor from the Bronx to be like, hey, is this good? Is this bad? And literally he was like, no, that is all trash. That is not (laughs) how he would talk to his mother. That is not how their house would be laid out. Like, I know that you're not changing the layouts, but that's not the memorabilia that you'd have. Like, not all Latin figures have crosses everywhere. Like, that's just not, that's, ugh. I mean, yes, it is. And no, it isn't. Like, (laughs) that looks horrible, right? And the developers didn't go, oh, we feel bad. They were like, we respect that. We literally have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. And we're going to do what you said. And guess what? 
Miles Morales is an astounding hit and resonated across, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it continues to sell highly. And when I get my PS5 one, one day, <laughs> one of, one of I'll, I'll play it, right? Yeah. Like it's going to be great. And it kind of comes down to, you know, it comes down to how those video games are made. If you don't know something and you don't, you know, like you will write a black character like a white man. If you're a white man, because you're a white man. Yeah. Right. I would right. write a black character like, you know, a white passing hybrid Latina woman. Right. Because I, like that, that's how I would write it now. I, and that would unfortunately, right. If I was put in that position, okay. To write a black American woman, I would, I have a lot of black American women friends. I will go and go, Hey, does this sound good? And they can tell me no. And I will go, how, how fixed now? <laughs> right. And they could, on, honestly, yeah. the, the worst case scenario for me in that is them saying you are not qualified to write this character yeah. and you should not. And then, you know what I do? I do not write the character done. Right. Yeah. You now it's harder in games. I will say then that it could physically be my job. Like, I'm sorry, there is physically no one else. However, let me talk to my company about getting a consultant that will actually co-write this character. Yeah. That's huge. Like if I physically am incapable of doing it, let me give it to someone else, right? Exactly. On the team. Well, and also at the same time, I think you made a really important point there. You sort of passed by it, but also like one of the things that companies constantly complain about is like, well, you know, we just have a hard time hiring a diverse pool of people. Well, the thing is like, if you're talking about people who come from marginalized populations, like you can't just use your ordinary recruiting methods. You can't expect them to come to you. Like if you want a more diverse group of people working for you, you actually have to do some work. Like you actually have to go out and try to find them or God forbid you should find the people who say like have the writing skills you want, but don't necessarily have the technical skills and then spend some money training them in the technical skills that you want them to have. Yeah. No, I actually am really proud of my current uh, company that I'm working for because we created an internship program where we have been, we specifically said you must be a, from a marginalized background, whether that's right gender or like socioeconomic uh, like race, ethnicity, or like it was, I think it was BIPOC is really what it was plus LGBTQA. Okay. So we're like, look, you have to be from a group that is underrepresented in the entire industry. Yeah. I think that was the politically correct way to say it. I don't know. Yeah. And so if you are underrepresented, you can apply to this. We basically were like, if you are a white male candidate or a white cis met candidate, you cannot come here. And it wasn't, <laughs> and that sounds really not nice, right? Because that's not exactly what we said. But yeah. it was the truth because we were like, we, this is an internship for underrepresented and underserved communities. Yeah. If you are not an underrepresented underserved community, do you know how many opportunities you have? Go intern somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like literally. And I have to say that I've been so impressed. I think I said this maybe last time in our practical episode. I don't know. I'm so impressed with the work that they've done, how much they have grown, the skills that they have yeah. measured. Right? Oh and no! It, I know. I know you love your your little game dev babies. I love my little game dev. They're so cute. <laughs> I've been a mentor, but now now after having come out of this mentorship, we've realized that we talked last or last week, last episode, we talked about how heavy it is just to experience these things secondhand, and how heavy it is, yeah. and how angry you get, and you burn out fighting. It occurs to us, right? But I think there only have a week left, or maybe two weeks left, that every single person that's been mentoring these people is from a marginalized group. Yep. And so not only are we doing our jobs, okay, like the 40 hours a week, right? Because we don't actually crunch at my studio, bless my studio. Yeah. And on top of that, we're mentoring. 
the next generation because we know what it's been like. But then there's, and we've been bringing in like people who are not from a underrepresented group to mentor them. But now we go, wait, there's, man, everybody mentoring these people are either women, non-binary or from a marginalized background, right? Like we well, actually it, have someone who's international mentoring them as well. Like yeah. they don't even come from America because they're like, I know how hard it is to work in America. And I'm just like, ah, like what the, the cycle is like, well, I didn't need mentorship. Why should I mentor? I didn't need mentorship. Why should like that's that can be a dangerous cycle as well. Well, yeah, I think it, we're going to go over here because I haven't even talked about cyberpunk yet. <laughs> yeah, well, then well, then do that. Like get, get into it. It's it's your it's your episode. You can have it. <laughs> No, giving, no, 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 no. I want to hear. I want to hear what you the have to say. The only thing that I wanted to add is that it also it is important for the white dude, bro. In fact, that's actually what I'm going to call it. I'm going to sort of shed the the academic academic terms for a second. It's important for the white dude, bro, to do that kind of mentor, mentorship because if they don't have any understanding of experiences of people from marginalized communities, like that's probably one of the few ways that they're actually going to get it. And so when you're in a when you're a men- and I can say this as a teacher, like. Not a lot of teachers do this, but good teachers use the relationship that they have with their students to learn about them as well as a way to sort of like reflect back on their own work. In other words, you don't just like impart knowledge to your students. You don't just like give to your mentors, your mentees. You essentially use use them sounds bad, but you sort of like through them, you see yourself again. You see your own deficiencies. You see your own lack and you learn from them as well. Like that's really important. And I know that sort of that sounds sort of buzzwordy. It's like, well, I learn just as much from my mentees as they learn from me. But no, like you actually have to actively do it. <laughs> yeah. If you learn nothing from your mentee, I guarantee you that you were not teaching them well. No. End of story. Like if there is any white dude bro out there that has ever been like, man, I just can't teach this kid anything, it's because he's not teaching you. Like, full stop in a story. And like I'll actually I'll uh yeah. I ugh, man, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's end the episode on like picking apart cyberpunk 2077 no, I, know- I just wanted to i guess uh as like a hard i wanted to kind of break it down as a hard example for okay. like how this experience would never have been released maybe it wouldn't it would have been still as buggy let's like take bugs aside of it okay yeah. graphical quality out of it it would never have been released the way it was released if they had had women on their team or, or like as in positions of, I would say, power with authority and like decision making. Yeah. Right. And the first feature, uh, which I hope someone out there listening to this knows what I'm going to say, uh, is the Joy Toys. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Women would not have allowed the type of prostitution that you see in this game. Uh, yeah, it is 100% very digital male, prostitution. Very, very, very male gazy. It very is extremely. very male gazy, yep. right? When you brought up the male gaze at the beginning of this episode, and we've touched on a lot here, so thank yeah. you for bearing with us here. But when you brought it up in the previous episode as well, when you said male gaze, immediately I was like joy toy. Because there are guides not for finding like male joy toys, right? There are guides for finding the female joy toys scattered throughout Night City. That's very expansive, so it's very hard to keep track of all of the women you can bang. Yep. I'm like, wow, okay, yep. right? Uh, I would say as a woman developer, say that I my overlords, right? And over ladies, overlords, over people, right? Yeah. We're like, you need to have a mechanic in this game where players can purchase to have an 18 plus experience. That's how I'll call it. I would have made it like this very big unlock quest talking about the dangers and the terribleness of this entire institution. Yeah. So now you're going, but Lauren, Lauren, Judy's... 
Judy's whole like arc was about the dangers of, you know, selling yourself to a, a joy toy experience and the dangers of selling your body, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I don't know. Nope, I don't buy it. Because <laughs> one, it literally is like, hey, you should come here for Judy. By the way, did you know you can like pay to have an 18 plus experience with your in-game currency? Like right next to each other. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, sorry, you can't go to the premier location. So you have to hunt for these rare valuable goods. Yeah. But it, it's just horrible. Now, what I would say is I would I would quite literally, like as a woman, like there is a lot going on in that entire issue that is not as simple as you pay for an experience, you get the experience and leave. Because that is the male gaze. That is the male media, right? Being yeah. consumed by a male. That yeah. is male creation for male consumption. That is not women creation for, for either gender consumption, yeah. right? Well, um, and the thing is, and because the thing is also like it plays into the trope of like, you know, the emotional journey of the prostitute or the prostitute with the heart of gold or like the pretty woman storyline where oh, it does where it's sort of like you can have a really interesting, complex, like character whose narrative arc like has complications and sort of emotional complexity, really interesting nuances. I mean, don't get me wrong. Julia Roberts is actually really good in that movie and she does a really great performance. But what gets sort of set to the side is that like that occurs entirely in the context of like dudes have all of the cap financial capital, all of the power and like her entire narrative arc exists within the social constraints of that patriarchal world. And so it's a similar mm -hmm. thing in Cyberpunk 2077 where like, yeah, Judy can have this, you can have an interesting story around a particular like tropey character, but it doesn't. Like that fact alone doesn't undermine the tropiness of it. It doesn't actually deconstruct like sort of like the patriarchal conditions in which that character figures. And so the, the example that I thought of as you were saying this was like, sorry, if you compare that to say like Yennefer in The Witcher, who actually is an interesting mother type figure but we're not going to get into that <laughs> but, yeah and also was done by the same company same which company is also yeah. this, is what, to me. this is what's so messed up about this is that like you can have an example of a game literally also made by cd project red where and i think part of the the part of the there was turnover is, for a cg project red between right witcher 3 and also you're talking about the difference between sort of like originally written material and adapted material because the thing is yennefer is also like this in the novels as well like they didn't the, the the sort of the the complexities of her situation and like the way i don't i don't want to spoil like what it is that is different yes, yeah, about yeah. her as a mother but the thing is like all of that was given to them they just had to reproduce it so then when they were like creating a game for themselves with their own narrative content based upon an existing system it's interesting that they didn't understand that that was going on in the source text that they adapted for the witcher yeah and then what's worse is so let's take the argument that you know would be the first on twitter which would be yeah but you can play a female v seeking out all of the female v like seat female joy toys okay one uh 67 of people play a male that was the statistic they they put in yep um being a female in cyberpunk 2077 is the same as being a male it's the, it's the reskin your, problem. It's the reskin problem, yeah. right? Because the only difference, though, is that Judy is a lesbian in scare quotes. Because the only way you can romance her is if you're a female V. And also the only way you can romance her is after the terrible tragic heart of gold quest 
where, and this is heavy spoilers. If you have not played Cyberpunk 2077, you should cover your ears for 20 seconds and then you can come back in 20 seconds. It will only take me 20 seconds to say, as I have said this before on many occasions. The only way to romance Judy is to go through her entire terrible arc, realize that her ex-girlfriend dies in a bathtub, and then as she has a panic attack, you go over there, sit next to her on a bathtub that reminds her of the bathtub in which her ex-girlfriend died, and then she kisses you and goes, wait, you weren't helping me this whole time because you liked me? If you choose to not kiss her. Otherwise, if you kiss her, you go then have sex. Which is also very male gazy. Like Not only is that male gazy. <laughs> It is absolutely atrociously designed Yeah. in that, oh, why are you here? And like, it's taking you a while in the bathroom. Oh, I don't know. I was just remembering how, you know, my ex-girlfriend died. Do you want to have sex? Well, uh, not, only, not only that, but also <laughs> the, the game then rewards you for her assumption that the only reason that you helped her was because you wanted to bang her. And then yeah. if that's true... It lets you bang her. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> you are rewarded for the male gaze. Exactly. You are rewarded for the male gaze. Whether or not, honestly, you are a, either assigned female or assigned male, right? Or you have a gender preference, like, right? Or a, a, either way. All I'm yeah. saying is, like, you are rewarded for buying into the stereotype and the patriarchal toxic masculinity of the male gaze. You are rewarded with Judy. I think I want to end it there because that's actually you, you summed it up amazingly. I want to thank all of our patrons for subscribing. We do these extra episodes for you and only you, <laughs> the, the loser. No, I'm not going to do that again, but um, I just want, yeah, I, it's been a heavy week for us. I If it's been a heavy week for you guys as well, um, talk to us, talk back at us, tell us that we're wrong um, on Twitter at foodiedashipod. I'm Lauren is at the Lauren Ash. I am at academicality. We will be back in two weeks with another Patreon episode. So until then, bye-bye.